So this will be, so this is my 18th year as a, as a Easter as a pastor. So this is my 17th uh, Easter sermon. Because um, there was one year in there where I didn't preach when we moved here and we were at Prairie Ridge and Ankeny. And anyway, so 17, that's a lot. And here's what's funny is every single one of those years, the week leading up Holy Week, um, including this one, uh, you won't believe how many people ask me, hey, so what are you preaching on Sunday, Aaron? What are you, what are you preaching? <laughs> it never gets old. It's hilarious. We're going to do Easter. We're going to do the resurrection. So, uh, John, I think it's hilarious. I love it that people make that joke all the time. Um, I really do. I love it. So, John 20, uh, 1 through 18. Uh, the words will be behind me on the screen or in front of you on your screen, or if you've got it with you, you can follow along that way. Uh, before we read, let's pray. God, we're grateful for, uh, for this book, for the scriptures. So grateful uh, for how they are the record of people uh, coming to grips with, with very real things that happened in their lives and their experience of you, and they're writing it down and putting it down so that that it can be saved and so that, so that others of us can learn. And we've done this for years and years and years and years. And here we are again on this Easter morning, opening your book, waiting to hear a word from you. And however that happens, Spirit, that you come and you join us and we hear a word from you. We are ready. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. So John 20, starting at verse 1, early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? 
Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, just, just tell me where you've put him, and I'll go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. We will go that far. What a story. What a great story. What a crazy story. On some levels, it's kind of an absurd story if you think about it. And if you put all of the stories of the resurrection from all of the stories about Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they don't match up. They're kind of weird. It's confusing. There's all sorts of actions. Sometimes there's an earthquake. Sometimes people are running. Sometimes they're not. Most cases, everybody's surprised and everything's crazy and people are, are crying and no one knows what to make of anything. And apparently in this story, did you catch the detail about the linen? It's really weird. It's almost as if John is saying to us, hey guys, look, the linen, they magically turned into angels. Like, just look at the story, how the, the linen was separate, the, the head wrapping was separate, and one was at the head, and one was at the foot, and then Mary walks in, and she looks, and there are two angels where the body was, and it's like, what's happening with that? So on some level, none of this makes sense, and it's all weird and crazy, and on some level, it's a little bit absurd. More on that later. I've already begun, so we're not going to begin like this, but we're going to continue like this. I want to know, what are your favorite Easter traditions or favorite Easter memories? You had no idea you were going to help me preach the sermon this morning, so I'm going to give you a minute to think about it while I talk about you thinking about it because you didn't know you were going to have to participate in the sermon this morning. Have I given you enough time? What are your favorite Easter traditions or favorite Easter memories? Anybody? Say that again. Easter egg hunt. Love it. We did one yesterday with my family down at my sister's house. Backyard, Easter eggs everywhere, candy in there. We even hid money in there for the kids. And they got a bunch of it. It was super fun. Was it fun? Yeah, what, what else? Dressing up. See how I dressed up this morning? <laughs> It's a new shirt. Renee picked it out for me. She said, wear it. I was like, okay. <laughs> Dressing up. That's fun. Okay, what else? Family. family. Getting together with family. Extended family. Probably grandparents. Maybe aunts and uncles. Meals. meals. Oh, meals. <laughs> the Easter meal. Come on now. What else, Brian? Risen you love that. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Anyone else? Easter traditions. Jesus rose from the dead. A human being, we celebrate a human being who was dead and is now alive again. What else? Any other Easter traditions? Being outside in the spring, especially today. At, 
We could go on and on and on, but all of these, if you think about your Easter memories, if you think about the day of Easter and all the things that you've, you've done in the past to celebrate Easter, there's so much joy. There's so much celebration, right? There's so much excitement. There's so much hope. There's so much love. That's what this day is all about. You know, the week started that way for Jesus and his disciples at the beginning of the week. Oh my goodness, there was celebration. There was joy and excitement. There was hope. There was love. Let's put the resurrection story within the context of the whole story about Jesus, shall we? For Jesus and his disciples, the week started out. It was exciting, celebrating joy, hope, love. All of it was there. If you think about it, they'd spent three years, the better part of three years with Jesus, up to this point in the story. They'd seen a ton I mean, you know the stories. They'd seen him do things that nobody is supposed to be able to do, and yet Jesus did it, right? They watched him heal the sick. They, made, he, they watched him make the blind see. They saw him heal lepers with the touch of his hands. You're not supposed to be able to do that, to touch lepers and with a, a word from his mouth, and they were made clean, made whole again. They got their, their life back again. They were amazed that they watched, they watched him walk on water. They saw him calm a storm. He like raised his hand and he just said, quiet, be still. And they're on this boat and the storm is quiet and it's still. They were amazed as he, as he fed 5,000 people, which is probably more like 10 to 15,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. They witnessed him accepting the unacceptable loving the unloved, people like children and prostitutes and tax collectors and all sorts of people you weren't, supposed to, you weren't supposed to accept. But he did more than just accept them. He loved them. He included them. He ate at the same table as they did. He shared a table. He's like, there's a place for you at this table. They saw him do so amazing things. They also, they also heard him say, some pretty amazing things. The kingdom of God is near, he said. It's closer than you ever dreamed before. Repent and believe this good news. I have come to serve, not to be served. Anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. The first, well, they're going to be last, and the last shall be first. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And he told all sorts of different stories. Stories about all kinds of different things. You can remember these stories. Stories about doors and neighbors. Stories about lost things and animals. Stories about lost people. Stories about ordinary things like seeds and flowers and birds and poop. Manure. He told a story about manure. Fantastic. These were stories that, that, that sort of drew you in. These were stories that were invitational. These were stories that, that sort of opened you up and made you believe. Stories that, that, that made you have faith that life can be different, better, maybe even, maybe even abundant. Oh, something, up was with, something was up with this Jesus. It was new. It was different. It was fantastic. He was like none other. That's why they followed. He made it feel, he made it feel like the world was about to change and that God, the divine, was finally making things better again, making things right again, whole again. So that's why they celebrated at the beginning of the week. 
You know, my dad talked about it last week when he was up here teaching. That's why they celebrated. That's why they waved palm branches as he rode into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That's why they shouted, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, God save us. God is saving us. There was so much joy. There was so much excitement, so much hope, so much love because they felt like God is here and God is saving us, putting things back together again. Yes. But we know from the story that the celebration didn't last very long at all. A few days later, they were sharing a meal together. And Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, This is my body broken for you. And they were like, what? And he, he took this cup of wine that they were sharing and he gave it to them, passed it around, and he said, he said, this is, this is my blood shed for you. And they were like, broken body? Blood? What is, what is happening here? And then a few hours later, they watched in fear as an angry mob surrounded them and arrested Jesus. Now, most of the disciples at this point ran away, frightened. Some of the women, they, they stayed with him and they watched as he was brought to trial before Pontius Pilate. They listened as the crowds who, who just days earlier were shouting, Hosanna in the highest, were now saying, crucify him. A few hours after that, these women watched closely as Jesus was stretched out on a cross and nailed to the tree and hung up to die. And as the life drained out of him, they heard him say something completely absurd. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. And that was it. Dead. From joy, celebration, what we're going to experience today, to death, dead, buried in a tomb, just like that. And then three days later, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. His body was gone. There's a flurry and rush of activity. People are screaming and crying, and everybody's, everybody's running. It's really weird. Nobody knows what's going on, right? Peter and John, they don't see a body. It's not there. They're not sure what to think. So they run away to the rest of them, and they try to figure out what to do next. What do we do now? And then finally, there's Mary Magdalene alone at the tomb. She looks in, and she sees two figures dressed in white. Angels. What? They ask her, woman, why are you crying? Well, she explains the obvious. His body's been taken. If you've taken it somewhere, tell me where, and I will go, I'll go get him. And then she turns around, and she sees the resurrected Jesus there. But who can blame her? She's so confused. She doesn't recognize that it's Jesus. Because who's experienced a resurrection before? 
And so she doesn't resurrect, she doesn't realize it's Jesus. She thinks it's a gardener. And then he says to her, woman, why are you crying? I find that interesting, don't you? Two times in this story that question is asked. Back to back, woman, why are you crying? Woman, why are you crying? It's an invitation through that repetition for us to answer that question. Why is she crying? We know why she's crying. She's crying because her good friend, best friend Jesus is dead. She's she's crying because her good and innocent friend Jesus died the most horrific death imaginable, and she watched the whole thing go down. She's crying because her dead friend Jesus has now been disrespected yet again. His tomb has been raided, and his body is stolen. She's crying because Jesus is gone. But more than Jesus died on that Friday, her hope died too. Like she, she and the rest of his followers had hope that in him something new was taking place. Something new and beautiful had come to earth. Like they heard him teach. They watched him with the sick and the lame and unloved. And as they watched him, they could almost imagine, they could almost imagine a world where goodness and kindness and graciousness win and meanness and violence lose. They could almost imagine a world where, where God really does wipe away every tear, a world where, where people of, of all shapes and sizes and colors and orientations get to sit down and share the same table together. They could almost imagine a world where children are fed and all of the sick are cared for. And that hope right there had been hung on the cross with Jesus, and it died there with him. That's why she's crying. And that's why we cry too. We cry real tears because we experienced real pain in this world. We look around at the world, and we see so much to cry about. There's all kinds of things. We know that there are people in this world, in this community, who don't have food, water, and shelter. Like, we talked to the bridge home. We had them in our space. We heard the numbers. We know the numbers. And it makes us cry. It makes us sad. We, we watch the news. Like, we hear about the wars. We hear about Russia and Ukraine. And we hear about war crimes. And we see images. And it makes us cry. It breaks our hearts. It makes us weep. We hear stories about yet another person of color in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who loses his life because the police got out of hand again. And it makes us cry. We experience in our own lives, in our own personal, in our personal relationships, lies, betrayals, people abandon us, people leave, we lose loved ones, people we know get sick, really sick. There's plenty to cry about. That's why we cry too. So why are we crying? We cry along with Mary Magdalene because the pain, the hurt, the loss, the discouragement, the suffering, the disappointment are absolutely real. All of it's real. None of that stuff, none of it can be glossed over. Not even on a morning like this, Resurrection Sunday. We cannot gloss over it because it's real. So we cry. But listen to this. 
But now, the world is different. The world is fundamentally different because we live in a world where a resurrection happened. We live in a world where death is dead. We live in a world where a man was crucified, dead, was buried, and three days later, he rose again. And so now our crying, our weeping, our mourning can now be placed in a new reality, in the resurrection reality. But wait, some people say, the resurrection isn't really real. No, it's not really real. We know what happens when someone dies. When someone dies, they're dead. They don't get up again. They don't live again. The resurrection of Jesus, it's just a metaphor. That's all we're talking about here. And this idea basically says that after Jesus died, his followers found themselves walking around in this world, thinking about his life, thinking about his teachings, talking about his life, reminiscing about what he had done and what he had said and what he had taught. And it became so intense for them that it was like, it was almost as if he was alive again with them. And so resurrection became this sort of symbol. It's just sort of a a metaphor for the human spirit or human optimism. I mean, you can read articles. They come out every single Easter about really smart people wrestling with the idea of the resurrection, not being able to wrap their minds around it, and finally coming to the conclusion that resurrection, it's got to just be a metaphor. Because we know that when people die, they stay dead. It's just a metaphor. It's a metaphor for a new way of living, a, a freer, happier, more optimistic sort of a life. But that's not where we stand. We stand with the historic Christian faith that says, no, the resurrection is real. It happened. And believe me, by the way, and this is a big by the way, I am fully aware of how absurd this idea is. It's absurd. When a guy is dead, he's dead. He doesn't get up and live again. I am fully aware of how absurd this idea is. I'm a pastor. I don't know if my permission to you, given to you, means anything to you or not. In case it does, you have permission to think that this idea is absurd. It's absurd. You know what else is absurd? This existence, the fact that we're all here, totally absurd. The fact that the earth is where it is in relation to the sun, it's totally absurd. If it's any further away, we're too cold, life doesn't exist. If it's any closer, we're too hot, life doesn't exist. This whole thing right here, this is absurd. It's absurd that we exist, that we're aware of our existence. That's absurd too. You know what else is absurd? It's absurd that we're aware that we're aware of our existence. Think about how absurd that is. It's absurd that we have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that beat and lungs that breathe. It's all absurd. All of it's absurd. All, you know what else is absurd? These things inside of us that we can't explain. Things like love, 
Explain that one to me. It's absurd. Things like joy, things like hope, like we have this sense that things could be, should be, ought to be, will day, will one day be better. That's absurd that we have this idea. We have this idea of justice, of how things ought to be in this world, and we know it's not the way things are supposed to be. All of that is flipping absurd. All of it's totally absurd. The resurrection, it's absurd. It's total. You think about all the things that Jesus said and taught and did. It's all absurd. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's absurd. Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. It's absurd. Totally absurd. Ridiculous. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's absurd, too. You go down to anything Jesus said and did. It's all absurd. So when we say the resurrection really, really happened, that's, 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 that's within a whole long line of things that are totally and completely absurd. Oh, and maybe that's the joy of it all. Maybe that's the awesomeness of it all. It's all gift. None of it makes sense. It's all grace. Does grace make sense? No, it's all gift. It's all absurd. And maybe that's why it's so awesome. So yeah, we stand here and we say to the rest of the world, dude got up after he was dead and he's alive. It really, really happened. Something happened 2,000 years ago to transform the world. It might as well have been a resurrection. That's what we believe. Jesus got up, lived again. Oh, listen to what one theologian wrote. Something happened to galvanize a little group of people 2,000 years ago, and they did not gather. They were not transformed by the idea that Christ is risen metaphorically. They did not form the world's first community to include Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, rich, and poor to break down every ethnic and cultural barrier based on a metaphorical resurrection. They did not sacrifice land, property, possessions, reputation, vocations, and positions based on a symbol. They didn't go to their death voluntarily by the thousands, believing they would be resurrected metaphorically. They did it because they believed Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It really happened. Friends, we experience all kinds of things in this world that make us weep, that make us cry, just like Mary. We look around us and we see it all over, all over the place, and we experience it. And those things are undeniably real. And if those things are real, really real, then no metaphor is going to magically make me feel better about any of it. No symbol is going to make me feel like I want to work to make the world a better place because it's not going to happen anyway, right? If it's just a metaphor, then it's all on us, all of it. If it's just, if we just get inspired enough, if we just sort of work hard enough, if we just flex our muscles enough, we'll make resurrection happen all by ourselves. We'll get resurrection done. That doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me because I've witnessed for far too long us human beings completely messing things up every day, all the time. But if the resurrection is real, 
if it really, if it's really real, if it really happened, then that's some good news right there. If three days after the cross and death and burial of Jesus, he woke up, walked out of that tomb very much alive, if, it's really, if it really happened, then that means that God really has begun to reverse the curse of sin that entered into the world through us human beings. That means that God really does care about this world, that God really does care about the physical, the tangible, all the stuff that we experience in our really real lives. God really does care about it. What once was dead is alive again. The point of Easter isn't metaphorical just to get us inspired. No, the point of Easter is that, that this world matters to God a whole bunch so much so that God became one of us, lived our life with us, among us, showed us what it looks like to really live a human life, at the same time showing us what it looks like for God to be among us, revealing to us exactly who God is, and then on the cross, willingly giving up his life in, in this self-giving, self-sacrificing love on the cross, and then rising from the grave, bringing life out of death, wholeness out of brokenness. Oh my goodness, that's good news. And guess what? God wants us in on the action because God really is out there making things better, putting things back together again. And how we live our life here and now in the present, it has significance. We care for ourselves we care for each other. We care for people who aren't cared for, and we embrace them and welcome them and say, come on in. We do all that, and we care for the earth because we know that God has not, will not abandon us, not even in death. And so here, on this Resurrection Sunday, we get up, and we leave this place, and we celebrate and we have our meals and our Easter egg hunts. And then after that, we join God in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in the healing of a broken world. Right? Because He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Just revel and enjoy the absurdity of the whole thing. Amen. Let's pray.